Hello, and welcome to this, another episode of Frame and Reference. I'm your host, Kenny McMillan, and you're listening to episode 111 with cinematographer Brandon Cox. Enjoy. Have you been watching anything cool recently? Uh, I Well, like series or movie or... or... No, either. Well, I saw I saw Indiana Jones on uh, I I just went Monday and I didn't read any reviews or any and I'm a, like Raiders of the Lost Ark is like one of my favorite movies and I was like screw it I had no expectations going in and I actually really liked the movie um, and I I haven't read any reviews I don't know what people are saying um, but I don't really care because I love that series I didn't like the fourth one. So that's why I didn't go in with any expectations. So I went in and I was like, well, you know what? Harrison Ford's 80 years old. There's not really much anywhere else you're going to take that story. And this was pretty cool. And the cast, they had a great cast. And it was, and, and, and James Mangold, man, he did a good job, you know? And, and I, I'm friends with Faden Papa Michael. So it's like, I, I, I was, I was happy. I was, what I wanted out of it, I was entertained. It was escapism. It was exactly what I wanted from the movie. So that's, yeah. I was happy. I had seen, I th- I think, online m- online movie critics. I mean, fuck, <clears throat> they satirized it in what Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. Like it was the worst then. It's definitely worse now. Like everyone has their voices amplified so loud, and most of the time they're being far too, uh, like they they see agendas where they don't exist, or they or they think that they're a filmmaker themselves, even though they've yeah. never touched a camera or or you know written a page. Um, so but so in that regard, I've seen both sides. I've seen I've seen oh this is fantastic, I love this, and like why the fuck is it this you know I'm just like just watch a movie. Like I went and saw Asteroid City. A fucking movie, man. That's exactly right. It's exactly. And what were you saying about Asteroid City? I'm sorry. Oh no! You can, it, trust me. I fucking just ramble, so feel no one's here to listen to me. But uh, the yeah, I saw Asteroid City and same thing. I came out of that. And I was like, that was really fun. Yeah, you I thought it was, it, was, it, was, it was great. It was fun. It was it's a Wes Anderson movie. That's what you're gonna get. You know what you're gonna get with a Wes Anderson movie. You know visually what it's gonna look like. You know what actors are probably gonna be there. Who he's gonna have. You know he's gonna have the kitschy dialogue. You know he's gonna have some weird awkward moments. It's just that's his style. That's what he does. And I don't know what more you're going to want from it. It's like, what do you yeah. want? According to Letterboxd, I sh- I'm an idiot. <laughs> I, as another side, I've never even touched. I won't even go near there. Because I just, I can't. I, I just can't. Like, the two sites I just try to, like, stay away from are Rotten Tomatoes and Letterboxd. I just don't even bother. Well, at least with Letterboxd, there's, there is, like, nuanced review like sometimes things it's very rare not super rare but it's it's not as common as like um rotten tomatoes or imdb for things to get review bombed yeah letterbox you know it's like there's mostly people who saw it and like care about curating a thoughtful thing but every once in a while people like, it sucked but with i got i got letterbox just because i was like how many movies have i seen so i was just using oh, it to like using it for that i got you to log it yeah i've never written a review I'd yeah, I'd never review, but yeah, I've seen that, and then I um, I want I want to go watch Fleabag because of uh, Phoebe Waller Bridge, and you know I want to watch her work and see more what she's done, and and uh, 
I, I really, uh, what was the other thing? I mean, there's like, there's so many things I have to just catch up on. I mean, yeah, I, I saw like Guardians 3 and I saw um, Astro That was a gut punch. Yeah. Oh, man. Guardians was a big gut punch, man. That was like, uh, and I've worked with Batista, so I was happy. Right. That like third war of Drax's character. And um, yeah, because I mean, I've been away. I was working in Colombia. So I, I, I had really I missed a bunch of the movies that had started to come out, so I was like, "Oh, I got to start catching up and seeing what's going on." I haven't seen John Wick four yet, so you know, da- so you know, John Wick four is definitely simultaneously the most and least John Wick. Like it is, I mean, it's clearly just the like Wild West stunt spectacular. You know, the, oh, the yeah. plot is very thin. But right. it, well, I mean, most of those, most of the Wick movies are. But you don't write, you're not going there for like. No. He's like Keanu Reeves kicks him out, <laughs> and and it's three hours of that. I mean, it is one three hours. Oh, but man, it's, that, it's like two and a half. But uh, out of nowhere, like all the first three, like the first one had a kind of a different cinematography than two and three. Two and yeah. three felt very much like the stunt team was shooting it. Yeah, and then four feels like they were like all right last hurrah let's like really i mean there's like kurosawa references and stuff in it that are just on framing and you're like okay this all right we're stepping it up just a touch that's cool that's beautiful well i i definitely i definitely want to see it then i have to check it out it was it was on the plane when i was coming back and i was like yeah i don't want to watch this on the plane yeah I, I'm, I'm gonna wait to watch it here i got my roommate and I have this 130 inch screen with the little projector. We try, we try to try to do it right. So, yeah. yeah. The uh, how do you, how do you feel about the uh, Barbenheimer release? Are you are you double featuring it? Or are you gonna go separately? Oh yeah, I, yeah. Is that like a thing? I, I've been like reading about that. So like you could you basically go see Barbie and then you go see Oppenheimer. The Barbenheimer yeah. thing. I don't know. I mean, I I. I It'd kind of be pretty a, a, a pretty interesting way to watch it. You have this bop, bubblegum popcorny candy, you know, toy that little girls have played with in the eighties and for how many years, and then you go see this serious film about the guy who pretty much invented the atom bomb and <laughs> could almost see, destroy the world. Yeah, we're gonna do it the other way. We're going Oppenheimer first, lunch, palate cleanser, Barbie, end on a on a higher note. That's actually a, probably a better way to do it, I think. <laughs> I mean, Oppenheimer looks incredible. I, I can't wait to see that movie. I mean, I love I, I, I love Chris Nolan, and I love um, uh, Hoyta. You know, Hoyta yeah, yeah, yeah. He's incredible. Have you ever interviewed him? Have you had a chance? No, I did run into him. So I ran into, I don't know what movie he was prepping, but I, I ran into him last year at Cinegear. When it was still at the um Paramount? No, when it when it was in the when it was in the um LA Convention Center. Oh yeah. I, I haven't been in like a few years because of COVID, obviously. So yeah, this year it was at the Paramount. So and that was like I still need to write like a, a recap article about that because the no one no one fucking was there for the gear. Everyone was there to just see everyone and like hug and high five and like the gear was it was in the background. People were like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. Anyway, and straight yeah. back to friendship. And it was, a, it was a very fun vibe, but it was hilarious that I was supposed to do, like, for Pro Video Coalition, I was supposed to write these, like, 
recap or do these interviews and stuff. And I was like, no one, no one wants to talk about this. Everyone wants to hang out. So I still, I don't have to write that article. Like I I wasn't tasked with writing it, but I want to anyway. Anyway, but so he was looking at like, uh, these little lenses. Okay. Just like tiny ones, like from Nisi or, or, um, uh, one of the Lawa, one of those companies, you know, one of those Chinese lens companies. And, uh. And so I saw him standing over there and I was like standing with my camera guy and I was like, I, I have to go. I have to go say hi. And so I walk over and there, uh, his, uh, like handler or whatever sees me coming and is just like, fuck. And I, it's clear. I mean, he, he's not wearing his name tag. Like he's trying. No, he's probably wearing his all black. with his No. Nope. Oh, he's got his scarf. Like, yep. And his hair looks like he hasn't washed it in like a week or whatever. You know. Yeah. He was not trying to hide. But so I, I just like really quickly was like. Hey, oh, I shouldn't say the rest. Well, so I, I introduced myself and uh, I was like, if you want to do it, I'd love to have you on the podcast. And he goes, sure, send me an email. And then he uh, gives me his email and and I, I'm not going to say any more than that, but his email was hilarious. Uh, that's I, awesome. I, I can't give any hints, but I was like, really? Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, but I've, I've on, bro. He's great. I, I, I met him a couple of years. Actually, I met him at the the last Finny Gear I was at. Um, I ran into Kayvon from um, Camtech, and I hadn't seen him in a while, and he was with Linus, and he was with Hoyta, and he's like, dude, have you met these guys? I'm like, no, but I know who they are. And he's like, hey, Brandon got this guy. That was it. Hey, how are you? Right. And Linus was like, oh, yeah, great. How are you? He's still <laughs> I just like, well, you guys are important. You go do your thing. The, the speaking of uh, Hoyta and that whole thing is, I've I've seen. This is like an interesting thought. I, today I was reading this. Is, of course, it's a fucking Reddit thread. But like everyone yeah. arguing about the the modern look of films and how the everyone likes to blame CGI, and I'm like, that's not the argument you think you're taking. But a lot of people are talking about. Um, how ooh, when we went from digital from film, yeah. That now that there's a, a difference in look, and I was wondering what your take is on that because I certainly have an opinion that I that I get in trouble for. <laughs> um, so basically, ba- so movie shifting from film to digital, well, different look from that, or or yeah, and also the uh, the look of modern do you have an opinion on the look of modern film and maybe do you watch films and go oh i would have done that differently or like oh when you're creating a, a look for a film is there um a look you're going for because certainly what i like when i did um b unit on uh detective night did you know that that i was the b, I the b unit I didn't know. oh awesome. on on independence yeah i was the i was the second unit director uh db oh i didn't um, know that but I was like just shooting it like I didn't have any lights or anything. I was just like getting pickups and I was like, I had a couple lights. But I was like, I, I don't know if this is going to like I've done this myself and it doesn't come out looking good. And then we saw it in the theater and I was like, oh, no, that looks fine. So clearly there's like something to do with the colorist or processing that I can't put my finger on. But yeah, big roundabout way of asking, do you have a personal opinion on film versus digital? Because everyone just loves that question. But also, you know your looks yeah I, I do i mean you know i starting on film i love film that's what i learned on you know and then being in the you know i when i got out of school i went i went right into uh uh videos 
and I was still shooting 35. And then I watched videos lose their budgets and I watched, you know, the, which I used to call the producer's camera, the Canon 5D come in and try to like, you know, look, you don't even need likes. You can just do that. I'm like, dude, let me explain something to you. Have you ever heard of reversal film? They're like, yeah. I said, there's like four stops of latitude with reversal film. I said, that camera has four stops of latitude. That camera's a piece of shit. I was like, mm-hmm. you need to take stills with it. And that's about it. Or if you want to do web content, it's great. But don't try to sell me on something where you don't have, you don't want to pay for life. It's not going to work like that. And you know, then I watched the red come in and all that. Yeah. Has it, it's, I look, there's a place for both of them. Right. And I believe in both of them. I, I think wanting to be a cinematographer, I think it's extremely important you learn on film because you'll understand exposure and you, you know, all of these types of things that, that, that technically you should already know rather than going the other way from video to digital. But has the look of films changed with digital? Yes. I, I feel like right now there's this lack of not wanting to light or this lack of like everything has to be like crazy dark to the point where you can't see it, which I don't think that to me in my aesthetic, I'm not a fan of that. I like dark and I like contrast, but I also want to be able to like, I don't want to be squinting at it and looking like, what? Well, they're like, oh, look how dark it is. It's cool. It's like, just because it's dark doesn't mean it's contrasty. It's just fucking dark and you can't see anything. Right. If you want to make, you can make a film dark, but yet, like, look at Seven, right? Right. Like, Seven's a dark film in tone, content, and in cinematography, but it's still lit. It's electrical, they, too. Exactly. And, and, and there's... 18 different fucking post versions of that movie floating around on disc. So whenever Fincher decides to do the 4K version, we'll do it, go back to the original. Um, the Criterion, yeah. Exactly. Um, but that film is still lit well. And it it's still, even though it's dark, and they did, you know, the CCE process, the skip bleach, the, the ENR process, all of that stuff had to be done to it photochemically, but it's still, it's still well lit. So I... I there's this thing, and I, you know, I don't want to get into like this movie, that movie, or any of that. I mean, we I could talk to you offline about that stuff, but yeah, it, sure. It, it's I don't want to point any fingers or anything, but there are some films that and TV shows where I'm like, yeah, that's cool, but it it you're being lazy, you know. Mm-hmm. I I I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I mean, I'm old school like that, but I I I think people should still just because they want to make it dark and make it. I still think. You know, and there was that whole thing, I guess, where everybody was bagging on movies that are like teal and orange and right. they took on that aesthetic and, and then movies started to be all low contrast and nobody wanted to color anything and that was the thing. And then now it's like some desaturation. Now it's a little more oversaturation. It's like, you know, you got to find what works for you. I tend to go always go to the movies I love, you know, and I, I mean, like I love Blade Runner, so... I don't, I can't make every movie look like Blade Runner or be a, but I, I, I still, even though I shoot digital, I still try to make it feel like film. If that makes sense. I, I, you know, well, that was actually going to be my follow-up question because in this thread that I was reading, which uh, Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer is what brought me there because people were discussing Oppenheimer and then, you know, complaining about other films and they're like, oh, you know, are they saying Oppenheimer does look like film? No, they're saying Oppenheimer looks amazing. Uh, Chris Nolan's amazing. Film is the yeah. best medium. No one can sure. make it. No one can make digital look like film. They're, and you know they were giving it a, Phil a little too much credit, in my opinion. Interesting. 
Okay. Um, That's right. But I wanted to know what your opinion was on what is the film look to you? Uh, I don't... Because if you want to make digital look like film, you got to be able to, you know, articulate. I mean, so, all right. Um, I, I know, I, I, I talk with Frazier every now and then, you know, sure. online. And, um, and I know his color is really real, David Cole. Mm. And, and David was talking to me about when I, when he did Batman, the, sorry, the Batman. Um, I was like, what was the process that you did? Because it, it just took on a really filmic look. And he's told me, well, you know, Greg and I found this process in London where we could take, we could take what we colored and then we could spit it out a negative you'd make a print and then come back, then color that, then scan that print back in. So you still, you're messing with digital on film and you're going back and, and they see he's like, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's an incredible process. Very, very expensive. Sure. Um, but, uh, hold on a second. Let me get this. Uh, hold on one second. Oh gosh. Yeah, there we go. Sorry about that. There was, no there was uh call number one. Um, so, when you're looking and Dune did the same thing, you did the same thing for Dune one and two. So that is very cool. Obviously there's money, no object there. I, I think, you know, and everything Deacons does seems to have a filmic look to me. Like Deacons has a way of doing stuff that looks filmic. Um, I just, I think it's, 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 it's in the way you light it and the way you color it and, you know, adding a little bit of grain to it. And I think what, you know, Greg's doing is really interesting. I mean, I there's that new film he did with um, Gareth Edwards. Is that his name? The, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, the creator. Or, yes. Or yeah. something to the C. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I was just, I was just reading they shot that on the FX three. So I and I was like, I really need to do an interview about that because he said that in one podcast. He was like, I like the FX three. I'd like yeah. to shoot a movie with it. Yeah. And then just my journalist brain pinged off because everyone took that clip and then have turned around and been like, he shot the creator exclusively on the FX3. And I'm like, I bet he used that camera. I don't know if that was right. his. Like, so I texted, I text David two days ago and he's on vacation. Mm. He's coloring it now. And I said, I need to have a serious talk to you with you about what camera that movie was shot on. Because yeah. he'll tell me straight up. And the moment I find out, I'll tell yeah, you. Yeah, text me. Yeah, because, because my like, that just seems I saw a trailer during Indiana Jones. Uh, and here's the thing about the trailer. The trailer did not hold up visually in the IMAX screen. Now I don't know whether they it looks great online, but when I watched it big, it didn't look so good. It broke up mm -hmm. a lot. So I really, I, I, I'm curious. I think he used it for certain scenes, but when I see that trailer, man, it looks like Area 65 to me. It looks like, I look, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Yeah. But it just looks like, I, I, I got to find out from that one. That one's one where I'm kind of like, really? You use that camera? Okay. Well, well I mean, it's a great camera. I, I certainly, Sony makes dope sensors. Sony makes most sensors. Stuff. But I, uh, it's just the the online contingent of Sony fanboys is loud, and yeah. uh, the second they got a hold of the creator was shot on the FX3, it was yeah. just like it destroyed internet discourse. 
And then, then what's going to happen? Everybody's going to want to go do exactly what he did. And then they're not going to be able to achieve it. And then it's going to be like, right. oh, it's which so the whole large format thing as well. So anyway. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, the FX6 is tech or FX3 is full frame. Yeah. It's, I think it's just an A7. It's an A7 in a sturdier body. It doesn't even have, uh, I think it doesn't do true 24p. And it doesn't have shutter angle. How does it, oh my god! That's, it's just an A7. It's an A7 in a different body. It's an A7 I mean, with a fan. I mean, yeah, I I can't. I and and it's I know it's like like you know that big, and it's then you're gonna have a phone. I mean, with it when you build it out, it's gonna be like that big, I guess. You know, your yeah. batteries and however you. Steadicam ops fucking thrilled. <laughs> oh, great! He's like, yeah, it's great. Now you interviewed Ward, right? Who? Warren Soffer? So, so. No, not yet. So Warren was the co-DP on that. Mm. Um, yeah, you and, like five DPs I'd love to talk to, but I, have, here, I don't know. Here, I, I know, I know, I know a lot of people. I'll, I'll definitely come up your ways. It's cool. Hell yeah, that'd be easy. So anyway, yeah, no, yeah. yeah. So Warren was co-DP because I saw he shot it, and then it was. Yeah, Greg good. shot it. I guess Warren like. Cody P like Greg's been doing that now. Like he he when he did Dune One, he brought on Kate Arismondi, who was relatively, you know, kind of obscure. And he just was like, Yeah, you're gonna shoot my second unit. And I was like, Wow, good for her, man. That's pretty pretty good leg up on that one, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's the opposite of that that's actually pretty cool because, you know, at a certain point, Greg is gonna get I called him Greg for so long because I'm a fucking idiot. But Greg's going to get every job. Yeah. But he's going to get every job. You know, he he's shot some of the most beautiful stuff on the planet. And if and yeah. if a script ever comes his way, he's going to get it. So the fact that he's bringing on lesser known people to co-DP or do, be second unit is probably a huge leg up for those people that, you know, I'm sure he's vetting, obviously. But, yeah, um, I mean, that's a cool thing. He did, you know, when he did The Mandalorian, I mean, he, he basically took Baz, uh, his operator, and he just was like, there, I'm gonna do a couple of these, and then you take over. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, cool for him. So that that's good. You did you start as a second unit guy, or, or did because I I was checking out your IMDb briefly, and it's like there's a lot there's a lot of camera and lighting jumping around before it starts just going cinematographer, cinematographer, cinematographer. Yeah, I mean, I I uh, I basically like well, hopefully you get the right Brandon Cox because. I, I, I've been getting some weird credits pop up lately, and I was like, I didn't work on that. Oh, really? Yeah, it's weird. Shit. I'm Brandon Cox number three, to whatever. Mm. But I mean, you probably see my picture on there, or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, well, I started like, I, as a lot of the films I worked on at AFI, and mm. so, um, the, the, I worked on a lot of crew people's stuff, and, and you know, we all crewed each other's films and whatnot, but. I started in, in, you know, grip electric camera moved around. But when I, I, I got really extremely lucky because, um, one of my classmates had was from Norway and he'd already been a bit established in the, in the industry in Europe. And he came to America and he wanted to learn narrative filmmaking. He wanted to go to AFI, and, but his main goal, he really wanted to get music videos and commercials. And Daniel Pearl was like his idol. That was like mm -hmm. who he emulated his style off of and uh he left afi because the afi is a two-year program he left afi he went back to europe 
got a lot of videos. Then he, he's like, when I get an agent, I want to come back and I'd love for you to work with me. And yeah, sure. So long story short, he comes back, he calls me, he needs a place to stay. So he had crashed with me. He stayed with me for like a month, found a place to live. He calls me a week later and he's like, hey, Beacox, uh, you want to come operate on this music video? I just got, of course, I'm right. I'm right. I'm like, oh, two weeks out of AFI. I'm like, yeah, let's go. Right. And so I go do that. And he takes me to Company 3. I meet Dave Hussey. I meet Stefan Sonnefeld. I'm, I start meeting all these rock star colorists who, you know, are legends now. Um, and uh, I uh, I learned that whole deal on how to, you know, work with the colorists, how the director works in, in a music video setting. And then he gets another job. I go work with him on that. He gets another job. He's like, hey, you're going to be sit with this director and you're going to shoot this stuff for me. And they just gave me a list and through that process, I garnered enough um, credits as the as the cinematographer, second unit guy, tweet to per se, and I basically uh, was able to get an agent with that footage that he gave me. And then, there you go. So I know how to do everybody's job, and, and I've done all those jobs. But like when it came professionally to to like get out of school and start doing it, I was really really lucky on how that. Gotcha. Yeah, because it does feel like uh, quite a sharp trajectory from, I guess, I didn't realize you went to AFI, but I've, I've interviewed a lot of AFI people. That seems like a very, you know, the, the film school discussion always seems to come up uh, in general, not just on this yeah. podcast, but AFI people always seem to consistently have, like, the most postgraduate success. And I think it's just, it it must just come down to the structure of their education, right? It, it, it does because, uh, um, when I was there and I, um, he, he left right after I left, then he came back the main professor. Now he just came back. I think he's like the tenure big dude now, as uh, is, is professor Bill Dill when he's ASD and all that, but he is, uh, incredible. Just, he's probably one of the most incredible teachers I've ever had. And basically would just, you know, structurally break down a scene break down movies, break down lighting, break down composition, just like, and nobody, I've, I've ne just never had a teacher like that. And, you know, when you, you work alongside for two years with 28 other individuals that are 27 other individuals can do the same thing that you could do. And you feed off of each other and you learn from each other and they're all from all over the world, you know? Um, and so you've got people from Korea, India, China, you know, South America, Europe, whatever. And everybody's got a different aesthetic, but you you all learn from each other. The funny thing is, I, I don't think AFI is the greatest directing school per se, mm. but as far as cinematography, editing, production design, they're it's first rate. You know, I mean that, that if you look up the amount of DPs that have come out of that school, um, you know, Matthew it's probably Lee, Robert Ellswood, Janusz Kaminski. Wally Fister. I mean, you can just you can just keep going. You know, Rachel Morrison. Um, it's incredible. Yeah. Probably a third or more of the people I've interviewed that have Robert, Robert letters. Rachel. Yeah, anyone who has Rachel letters Rachel. after their name. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it, you know, it, it it it's the 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 way the program's structured. I mean, it's it's very very intensive and and it's immersive in the sense that it's it's setting you up to work in that system. And the thing I like about it is, you know, their equipment, I guess, or you would say checkout or whatever is kind of minimal 
because it's trying to teach you that like, hey, you're not always going to be able to go to your school and get stuff. You have to go out and go rent stuff, which is like, you know, when you go to these private art schools or these private schools that have all this, you know, they're like, oh, what gear we have. But it's like, right. That's great. But in the real world, nobody's going to open up the door and say, hey, look at all this gear we have. It's not going to work like that. You got to rent the shit, you know? Right. So in that sense, you know, AFI is teaching you to engage with vendors, engage with these people. That's how I, like, that's how I met Panavision. It was like, I've had a 20-year relationship with that camera house. I had a really strong relationship with Technicolor when, you know, because we were assigned a lab and that was when we were still on film. Yeah. But I met so many people through through that process. So AFI, yeah, they they churn out people, man. They really do. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's always been fascinating to hear that because I think they're singular in their pro- maybe not. I'm sure there's other schools that do it that way. You know, maybe NIFA, but uh, you know, your USC UCLA style school is probably not much. That was about to be bad English. It's probably not unlike what I experienced at Arizona State, except ASU's film school started two years before I got there and had no budget. Now they've got a crazy budget. But like when you're talking about, look at all this gear we had, they had a DVX. <laughs> and they were like, y'all get to fight over that. Right, right, right. And then at one point they got that 5D and everyone had to fight. Then, over it, was, that. then, it, was, then it was like, oh, oh we're going to you know. Someone got the 50. Yeah, exactly. Right. Oh, oh, that's all we have. Oh, okay. Never mind. It's on the camera, you know, but yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, they don't really have any cameras there. You, 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 you had to go out and write your camera. I mean, they had, I, I, and, and how that program's changed now too, is I don't know now, but I remember when I was there, just how the industry changed for your thesis films. I think out of everybody's, I think there was I think there was like 20 some odd films or I don't know, 20 or 30 films, whatever it was. And out of all those films, um, I think 20, if there were 28, I think 26 or 25 were all film. And there were like two that were digital. Now I'm sure it's like two are on film and the rest are on digital, you know? Right. And, and so, yeah, I mean, it just goes to show you, but the only ca- the cameras that the school had, cause it was through, they had like the Sony editing center or whatever, whereas the Sony F900s, I mean, in those things. Oh, really? Those things were just tanks, you know, but I, I. The old Star Wars episode one camera. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I never used it, but, um, uh, you know, some people did and, you know, they made it look great. And, and, uh, yeah, I shot mine on 16. So that was. Five months here. I was on sixteen year. So how did uh, you leave an AFI? What got you into the track of kind of shooting? You know, I'm a big action fan, but you you seem to have this this lexicon lexicon. You have a body yeah. of work that includes I'll think a lexicon. Lot. <laughs> oh, <laughs> just goes, I'm using all my big words today. Uh, of like, you know, lower budget blockbuster. I don't know how best to describe. It. Like the the you know, you've got Batista, Bruce Willis, and and uh, Adrian, not Adrian Brody, but oh, I wish Adrian Brody. That'd be great. No, well, it was uh for like what am I think Marauder because I had just oh, watched Adrian Grenier, yeah, Grenier, yeah, yeah. So you got these huge stars, and then what is you can tell like it's not like a shit budget, but it's certainly a low budget. But you made it look good, like that. Film, I want to get into that film a little bit, but I, I appreciate that. Well, how we'll see. All right, so how I started. Um, after I got AFI, I got the music videos and then, um, I, I 
a classmate of mine from my art school, because I went to art school in Savannah College of Art and Design. Mm. Um, a classmate of mine came out. He went to AFI for directing, and then he quit. And then he he's from India, and he met um, who was, I think there was a producer named Bharat Shah, who was like one of the biggest Bollywood producers at the time. And um, he somehow got connected to him, and he had the, he found this this script about this um and, you know back then it was it was like 2006 um it was about a uh a gay indian man living in hollywood um and it's based on a novel and um it was sort of his experience in the nightlife in hollywood or whatever we made that film on 35 it really didn't do anything but i made a feature right yeah so that helped and then that propelled me and i got the collector which is a horror movie the collector horror movie i did with marcus dunston wait and Patrick Melton, you know this one, the collector. Hold up, hold on. Who was the main character? The main character was a stuntman, wasn't he? No, well, I don't know. Josh, Josh Stewart was the was the main character. I don't know if Josh uh, stuntman or not. No, that wasn't him. I remember. Uh, sorry, I derailed everything. Oh. I used to play Hawkeye with a stuntman, and I remember he he. This would have been about that time. This would have been like two thousand nine. I well, there, it came out in 2009, so uh, maybe he was the collector. Maybe he was the collector, and he had a mask yeah. on, right? Yeah, what was his name? Yeah, because there I he had a look guys, and there the was a guy, poster a guy like tying up his mask, right? Yeah, yeah, in the back, yeah. okay, yeah. So I used to play hockey with that stuntman. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, he did well, he did a gnarly fall for us, the stair fall, which was freaky. Um, and then also that was where I met Zoe Bell, the famous Tarantino. She, she did a fall. She did like a few times, which is really freaky, but anyway, right. I don't want to get off the course. So from that, from getting that, that got me more into features. And so I, I was floating around and trying to get another feature. And, um, my agents got me a hold of this project, uh, this director, Scott Mann and, he had this film called Bus 657, and it was through Randall Emmett and George Furlow, the EFO people. And and uh, they said, hey, you know, check this out. And and by the way, Robert De Niro is going to be in this movie, and we're trying to get Dave Bautista and Jeffrey Dean Morgan. This is around 2014. And I really was, you know, looking for something to, you know, go to an, another level. and Get my um, looking I, good. Yeah, exactly. And, and and at the time I, I went and did a deep dive on these Emmett Furla movies and not to sort of, uh, you know, poo-poo on the other ones. I just didn't really think the look of those films that that what was gone, you know, previous before I did one. I just, just, they felt very, you know, they did a good job, but I just felt that they could, the, 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 you saw how you could, you saw how you could make it, uh, exactly. Elevated. Exactly. So I, I, I immediately was like, all right, well, we're going to shoot anamorphic. We're going to make it look like a bigger movie and, uh, we're going to do something with it. So I brought all of that. There was a lot of fights of not wanting to shoot anamorphic, but, but why for, I, I don't, don't, they just, they basically wanted to take the same camera package producers. Did oh, okay. And say, oh yeah, here, just use this. I'm like, well, no, I don't want to use that. I don't shoot with those lenses. I don't want to shoot that camera. And, no, I right. want to do this. And it was a fight, and Scott and I fought on it, uh, fought the producer's heart on it when we won. And ever since that film, I felt that that was going to be my sort of 
staple for those that level type of movie i'm gonna bring you know you're not given a lot of time to make that movie right other films and you gotta get what you can when you you know because sometimes okay we gotta have this actor for two days and you've got to rearrange your schedule just to shoot their stuff and then all that sort of thing but to answer your question with those with those films yeah i mean I wanted to bring something to it visually that could be, you know, all of the things I love, like Lethal Weapon 2 and Tony Scott movies, you know, movies from the 80s and 90s that I love and just sort of give it a spin and my sort of take on it and do what I, do what I love, you know? So that's why I tried to bring... Action was always in my, like, DNA. I always loved action movies. So being able to shoot action movies, it's like, wow, you know, it's it's such a a pleasure and an honor to be able to do that because they're fun. I mean, I don't get to do what, uh, you know, let's say Extraction 2 is done, but, you know, that that's Sam Hargrove's working on fucking off cylinders and, and, and kicking some butt, man. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, it's, it's you know, like, it's the dream because in, in college they're like, you're not going to make an act. Don't make a fucking action film. Make a, write a drama that you can film stop the, right you know and then you go off and do it but ha- so one, what i kind of wanted to get into with th- this was you know the films look you know higher budget than they are yeah. what are you doing which is you know anyone can do that but given the fact that you guys don't have a lot of time i'm very interested in how you're able to light these scenes and what your lighting techniques are to raise the bar on that production value in the time allotted how you're able to work so efficiently I, it's, it's funny. I was, I was very similar conversation like a week or so ago with a friend of mine was asking me this, um, that, yeah, most of these movies like, okay, so bus six, five, seven, I think that was 19 days and it was 17 principal to, uh, I think it was like two stunt days or, you know, pickup days or whatever. And then from, from there, the days were just decreasing. And so I very quickly learned that I have to learn how to shoot with two cameras, multiple cameras, and I have to learn how to light fast and good, good enough that I can get by and make these things work. Um, Because there's no time to tweak. There's no time to be precious over anything um, just because you don't, don't have the time. you're just you're on it's running gun the whole time so what i did was i I, you know for 10 years from 2000 and it was like 2000 when did i get out of school 2004 2014 2012 whatever all i did was music videos and a few features in there but in that time i'm basically taking the speed of which i had to work on a music video and bring it to that so i learned i can i have this ability to walk onto a set, look at it, and immediately, like, Rain Man can know exactly where I'm going to put the lights, the cameras, and then I can I can do a really quick turnaround because I try to do this light to space, not the face thing. Mm-hmm. So actors fall within the space of the lights, and, you know, if they're out of out of, out of light in the light, that's fine because, no, don't get me wrong, it's not like I'm not going to have any lights on set. I do. But I try to do it in a way that it works and it's good. I can't make it great because I I just need more time, you know. 
and maybe it is great. I don't know. I'm, I'm doing it to a point that it works aesthetically for the movie. It looks good and we can move quickly. And so I've got to be able to light that thing really fast. And when I need to turn around, if we finish once that, when I need to turn around, I'm talking like 10 minutes, 12 minutes, I got to turn around, not 45 minutes, you know, and you'll just, you won't, you won't finish. And so I've been able to, you know, use larger sources and, or, you know, give myself like, Hey, just give me a little more time. Just light this. And then once we go, we're going to go. So I have to begin, you know, we'll have like pre-calls or we'll get in and be like, uh, I'll be up in an hour and 30 and we'll go. So it's, and, and then obviously when you need to come in and, and, and on close-ups and whatnot, I'll bring some other sources in to help out and, and just to fill out the scene. But that's been more, that's been my general approach pretty much for the last, you know, eight years on all of these movies is that. And as I've been able to get, uh, budgets increased and time I've been able to at least finesse lighting a little more and slow down. So I, I've, I've appreciated that because I've noticed when I get a little more time, just a little more breathing room, my work elevates to a different level. And I, I'm trying, you don't say I'm trying to get that all the time. So that's, that's the goal, but yeah, that's to, uh, to answer your question. That's been sort of the, uh, running gun run with your fucking pants off and light and go shoot 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 you know so what is what is your lighting package i'm just using marauders as an example because that's when uh we initially scheduled a couple months ago i yeah i, I immediately watched that that was like the first one that was available for oh, free cool. so i was just like yeah. boom so use it yeah. like when they're in like the bank for instance that all looks very yeah. unnatural but yeah. it still looks not lit in a, in a pedestrian sense, but like it's, I could tell, okay, you've lit that. But like, so what, it, for using that as an example, like what were your lighting setups for in the uh, bank? Maybe? Which, which, which bank robbery is the very oh, first one? Yeah, let's go with the first one. Cause that one looks pretty good. <laughs> the second one, which was like in the wooded sort of bank. And then the third one was where the robbers were, um, uh, they, they met resistance from Chris Maloney. Yeah, oh, I, I either one I can go to either one. Of them. Actually, that first one, and now that I'm thinking about it, that last one too actually are both okay, pretty good. So the first one was in it was in, it was like the lobby of a building, and everything was gold. Yeah, everything was golden, right? So I remember I was I shot some parkans into the ceiling, and then there was a big door entrance, and I think I had a few nine lights out the window, and I papered the window, so I. We, I was just using that that push that way and then using all that golden light and bouncing up into the ceiling. And that was really it. And if I needed mm. to come in with the special, I, I we walked around a, a four by bounce and I think I had a 1K or 2K and made a, like a book light out of it. And my gaffer on that, who I just, he just finished a movie with me, Russell Faust, who's incredible. He normally works with uh, Wan Me. Um, his last name is escaping me right now, but he shoots for Joe Carnahan. He's a really talented DP. And um, he also, Russ just finished the movie with um, uh, Dante Spinotti and Barry Levington. So Russ is like an incredible gaffer, and I shot that in Cincinnati. But that was the sort of approach on that bait robbery scene. So we did it that way. And then the the next one, the bigger one, there's these gigantic large windows in the back of that. That was an old bus terminal or train terminal, I think it was. And it was actually used 
as a bank in Rain Man, where where um, oh, no shit. Tom Cruise goes and is trying to find out who the who owns the trust of his of his family, right? Because he was sort of duped out of his inheritance from his dad, right? And so that's like a really you know historical building in downtown Cincinnati, and so we turned it into a bank, and I had these large windows. And I, I think I had two lifts back there, and I had, uh, I think it was an 18K going through that way, and then um, maybe two 18s. I, I, I can't remember. I, I remember there was one. I don't remember if there was another. And then on there was there was two levels to that place, so I could actually put lights up there and then shine them down. And I think Russ also took a couple 4Ks and 9Ks and bang them into the ceiling again just to get a base ambience of everything. And then from there, we had, there were little rooms offset that I could just push lights here and there. And and then he would, uh, I remember bouncing a lot of light for that show. Mm. And then I would walk, we would walk around in Image 80, got nobody uses those anymore, but there was no LEDs back then. Right. So there were no sky panels, there were no, no tubes. You know, dude, the tubes, Kino flow, man. That's what you had. That was, that was it, bro. No, there was no, there's no stairs, man. You wanted something blue, you had to go, go get a fucking gel, put it on there, and watch your stop just go you're yeah. off of work. You know, so it was, uh, you know, I was still using a lot of tungsten and Kino flows and HMI. So that was, I remember dancing around a Kino flow and dancing around an image 80 and always softening it for for that scene. So. And always having a back. I always have like soft key light, hard back edge. We just sort of rolled with that whole thing. Yeah. So any any sort of shot we would be with, uh, if a guy was shooting the gun, I'd I'd you know I'd key from one side and back edge from the other. Where whereas aesthetic, you know, if it worked aesthetically for the shot. But I remember that that specifically. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, I feel like younger you know students or younger filmmakers would be amazed at how fucking big those image 80s were like they look ridiculous looking back on them now they look ridiculous no they look they're, they're heavy god those things were heavy they're they're just big lights you know i mean it's a you know it's a big array of what four foot kinos but i think it's like 12 of them or something yeah yeah it's like, yeah you had to like yeah you had to make them by color like you, you, you had like i have like what tungsten daylight tungsten daylight or you could do it all daylight or all tungsten it's like Dude, they have no idea how how what we had to do back in the day. It's like now they're like, oh, you want a twenty eight hundred? Yeah, very good. All right, there it is. You know, yeah. They have the the ease ease of all that. Where it was we like, oh, we have to switch all the tubes. Hold on a second. It's gonna take ten minutes. Oh, we're gonna take all the tubes out. Put in the daylight tubes. Oh, yeah, that was fun times. I had a it, now instead of an image eighty. Not that I ever owned one, but I got the uh, Intellitech Mega Light cloth. It's like a four and a half by three and a half foot blanket oh i call it bicolor yeah. blanket so it folds into a one by one square you can chuck in your backpack you know you can put it in a briefcase if you want and not really the ballast but i mean lights are i mean i and i didn't really start using leds until um uh escape plan two which i did in 2017 it was one of my gaff different gaffer i worked with I was like listen man you really need to try using these sky panels. And I had a bad experience with LEDs. Like, you know, I got the wrong ones and they flickered and I was like, oh, oh they used to be dog shit. Yeah, they used to be awful. And and then so I was very against LEDs. And then it took uh, 
another gaffer to really convince me when I saw what a sky panel could do and then what um not a Thera, but was there was another Quasar. Quasar. That was it. And um the Quasars, he we had a bunch of Quasars, you know, we had them all in the dimmer and the iPad and it was just his early doings with these lights, but it was really, really fun to like get into your brain. You're like, okay, these lights can do that. Now, how else can you use these lights? And now, you know, also to answer the question earlier, you know, LEDs are, are a huge part of my lighting gear now. You know, it's like I try to carry a 360, uh, you know, at least four 60s, uh, two or three 30s, S30s. They're all um, Aries Sky Panels for everybody. And then obviously tubes, you know, right. there. Um, and then I'll do a small tungsten uh, package of, you know, a couple two Ks, some one Ks, smaller units, and then HMIs, um, so uh, so one point eight, uh, some four Ks, maybe nine K. If I need an eighteen K, I'll take it. But I try to just try to kind of stick it in that, and then that's really it, you know. And they know the. Aperture makes all these little one by ones, and you know all those. I love those things, man. Those those things are MCs are incredible. Those lights are amazing. Yeah, the MCs are dope. The Aperture, same thing with their their sound division, Deity. Their yeah. apps, their apps are great. Yeah, like the light. You know, you just control the the one that's cool about like the MCs or some of their blankets are like you can take a photo of a color and it'll just make it, that color. Then it goes. I mean, it's it's so intuitive and smart. I mean, it. I had a friend that worked at Aperture. He had, he's since left. But uh, when I was doing a movie last year in Puerto Rico, uh, which hasn't come out yet, it's in post right now. It'll be out. I I don't know either either the end of this year or ending in next year. Um, I'll I, what I know, I'll let you know. But um, it, he sent me their. I think it was their. Uh, what's it was very similar to what you have that like blanket like it's like a. I don't know. It's like two by or four by four. I don't know how big it is, but it uh, it unfolds out, and you can put it in a frame, or you can you know tape it on a wall or however you want. Is it blue? No, it's it's just it's it's a black back with white front, and it's got LEDs, oh. and then it has a little frame, and you can put it in a little box, and you can hold it around or put it on a stand, and it's it's DMXable, and. Uh, I think it's called the, it's called the, or it's the, what's it called? I forget. I, I, it'll come to me. The, 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 the Amram. Amram. The Amram. Oh, it's the Amram. Amram okay. FX22 or something. Yeah. I used the hell out of that light and it, it was so versatile and so quick and fast and it's powerful. Like there are lights that are really highly powered, but just again, I don't want to get off the tangent, but just. No, this is the tangent podcast, so go for it. <laughs> you know, like you know what I'm saying, just the power of these lights now is just incredible. You know? Yeah. And uh I also use these Lux lights, which look like nine lights, mm-hmm. but they're LED. And they're they're powerful. But the great thing about all these lights is you can plug them into the wall. Yeah. You know, I mean if you told me you could do that, you know, 10, 15 years ago, yeah, you know, gaffers would look at you, you're crazy. There's no way. And now it's just, that's the thing, you know, it's, it's, it's really amazing. And it's also, it, they're, they're fast, you know, and that's the other thing, always needing the time. Like I'm always talking about having time, saving time. You got a light, a big light, and you could just massively cover 
you know, a, a, an area quickly and you get a light that you don't have to run miles of cable for, you know, why not? It's great. So, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I, I've been trying to like always change it up and, and give these movies a look, but that, that basic package is what I listed off is like, that's become the sort of staple for me right now. At, uh, at Cinegear, Aperture and Nanlux slash Nanlite, depending on which yeah. distribution you get it from, release, Aperture has a 2400 watt LED that basically, it's more powerful than an M18. I, I, it was so fuck, they, they banged it into the side of a building and I was probably standing 60 yards away getting a solid key. And I was just like, what the fuck? I mean, it's enormous. It's it's not like something that the average person would buy. But oh, no. um, they had that and like a 16. And then Nanlux has uh, like a 1200 that's... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Like um, an M8 or something like that. Yeah. I was using uh, the movie. I, I just completed my... Um, my demo board op had some lights that she brought. And um, well, I was using the Nanlux... The Nanlite Forza, for, yeah, Forza, the Forza. Those things were great. I never even used those. And my, it was funny. My gaffer Russ was just like, I don't know about those. I was like, No, no, dude, Nanlite, they make some good stuff. Well, you'll be they surprised. Do. And by and by the time he was like, Man, I think I'm gonna probably purchase a couple of those Nanlites. Now he's like a complete convert now. So it is, it's cool because you know you get to. I, I love always being introduced to a new light from somebody because it's, you're always very hesitant. But then when you use it in an application that, you know, you, you, you're like, well, I know another light I could use to do that. But when you use a different one or one you haven't used before, it's like, oh, wow, well, I'm going to try that, you know, next time. You know, so it's always it's always fun in that sense to uh, learn a new, you know, learn a new tool for the for the tool bag or, you know, for say, yeah. so I, I, it's man leds are incredible you know the change change the game tremendously and uh i i i always love you know i was bummed i was on my last week when senate year was going on and i was seeing all the updates and i was like damn it oh man i want to see all this new stuff but at the same time i had to finish my movie so yeah who's out the cream source cream, cream source makes really good lights too man those guys are good cream source lights are so good yeah uh, i mean they're heavy but they're they're Beautiful lights, punchy. Yeah. The the punchy. uh, what was I going to say? The oh, the one that I was going to suggest. The, so the the tool that I added to my toolkit that changed my game completely, which is going to sound so dumb, is just it, it's dependent on LEDs, but it's dependent on certain LEDs, and that is the ability to meter an XY coordinate from a light. So like, you know, you get sent a sun coming in, you just meter it, type those numbers into the back of the led fixture and it's the exact same light you know it's not even like oh it's close enough you know you you, you meter it and you get oh 5600 or whatever and you type 5600 in the back of the light that might not be real that might yeah. you know and you don't even know if the light's giving off that number what you put these little numbers in and it's exactly the same instantly so good that's so scary it's you know it it's these lights are so intuitive now and and just by doing that, what you said, it, it's, uh, it's, you're getting, you're getting the same color quality. And, and, yeah. So, you know, light will come from outside where it's like, it's bouncing off the grass, it's bouncing off sure. buildings. And so there's like a little bit of color, um, pollution. 
Yeah, yeah. And that's what the X Y coordinates fix because it's not directly on the Planckian curve. It's you know somewhere just adjacent. That's absolutely crazy. <laughs> you know, it's that's insane. Wow. Yeah, that was a big one for me. And I got those Kino Flow. The Kino. Have you used the Kino Flow LEDs? No, I haven't. I have. So they were way too late to the game, but they were spending yeah. their time wisely because. I've gotten a hundred TLCI off of their lights. Really? Like they're, they're, they're perfect. I mean, they're literally perfect. Uh, and they have, they're not as punchy as a sky panel, but the, the quality is far higher. Like I, I, I can send you the, the, um, Oh, I'd love to see scans. I did, you know, flows coming back with something, man, because I, I, I was having, I've had many conversations with gaffers, and filmmakers about, I remember Kino flows. And then we, you know, would talk about how I would use Kino flows. And, um, I did, and funny enough to bring up Kino flows. All right. So in Marauders, there's a scene where the cops pull up and the two dudes that are trying to, uh, rob the, the money that they, that the robbers hid in that one mm. abandoned warehouse, they come outside, it's raining. The guy's like, put your hands up. And then, and there's that whole thing. And that was, that was like the way I stayed. That was, I couldn't get a balloon light. I couldn't get any light in the air, like big enough. So I looked at Russ and I said, well, we got four, four bank Kino flows, right? And he said, yeah. I said, well, just, just get some pipe and hang it on the edge of the, <laughs> of, of the lift and just put it about so high. And we got a soft box. Right. It's like, as ridiculous as that sounds, I think that's going to work. And then the key grip was a little like, Oh, I was like, dude, it's four four bank Kino flows. It's not gonna pull the lift down, man. Are you kidding me? It doesn't weigh anything, right? So we put it up there. We had the rain machine because you know there's rain in that. We made the rain. We made it rain that entire movie. Um, yeah. which was rain's a lot cool. Of fun. Rain is cinematic. Yeah, right. Fuck <laughs> And that's why I told Steven, the director. I mean, he comes to me two days before for a pot to shoot. We were gonna only make it rain in like a couple scenes. He's like, all right, so listen, Beacocks, uh, it's gonna rain the entire movie. I'm like. Okay, it's gonna look cool. It's just gonna suck to shoot in, but I'm down. Let's go. They did it in seven. That I was like always like, well, seven, you know? Right. So, yeah, of course. But so we did it, and it. I mean, I like the way it looks, so it worked out. But then again, you know, it's like there's that big homage to Kino flow. It's always coming back. <laughs> yeah. Well, they. So the cool thing about them is they're no matter what fixture you get from them, it's all the same LEDs and all the same drivers. So you never have to worry about like differences in in quality or anything it's just all about like workflow you know but on at least on my diva lights uh well they're all the same so what i just fucking said that uh there's uh camera luts built in so you can tell the light ooh i'm shooting venice i'm shooting uh dxl i'm shooting alexa and it won't create a color that is outside the color gamut of your camera and it'll also shift it'll shift the white balance so that it is what the camera is expecting. So if you put, you know, tungsten, whatever, it shifts the light to the camera's spec and so that it looks exactly correct versus, I guess, the other way around, trying to match the camera to the to the light. Sure, sure. So it's it's almost recognizing the color sides of the camera of right. how it sees, perceives, uh, you know, like a magenta shift or a green shift or a tungsten. Right. That's, that's intuitive. Well, yeah, look, man, I mean, I know they took their time and they're, they're a little late to the game, but maybe they're going to get their rise again. So I just want them to sponsor the podcast. 
Yes, I want Kino's flow to sponsor the podcast. I used many Kino flows back in the day. It's my favorite. Life. And Astera, I got run down by the Astera guy at NAB a couple of years ago, and he's like, "Hey, man, I'm a big fan." And I was like, "Of what?" And he goes, "Your podcast. I've read all your articles." And he started listing off things I had written, and I was like, really? "Fuck, he actually did read." Yeah, Astera, uh, Astera guys are cool. They're, yeah, no, I mean, Astera is funny. My gaffer uh, on the on the last one with the movie I just completed, uh, Land of Grace, he, he he was like, uh, are you sure you're not getting kickback from Astera? I said, no, why? He's like, because we got fucking 80 of them here, man. I'm yeah. like, well, you know, I got to light a city street, man. I, this is what it calls for a mixed color temperature, what we're trying to do. And, and he's like, I just like the way you do it. You know, we'll just, you know, we'll put one in storefronts and, you know, try to incorporate it into the, into the film and and so it doesn't look like we're making a music video but it just looks like it's you know we're in a third world country you just wanted to try to give it that mixed color temperature man on fire city of god type feel so it works but yeah that was yeah. Really, that's actually incredible life. well and every every single dp uses every single dp i've interviewed on this fucking podcast uses the astera tubes so uh, they're incredible be you can make a light any color you want in a matter of seconds. It's if you can think of it, it's there. Yeah. And the fact that it has that intuitive, uh, you know, the Rothko or Lee lighting or right. you, know, you can just, oh, it's this. And I'm, I've got like three, like I have like three fluorescent colors that I always use. I know the numbers now it's because I've been using them so much. Yeah. Like make it a make it a sixty, make it a one thirty, make it a you know, and then I'm like, surprise me. That's my new thing. Yeah, hey, just surprise me. Yeah. And I'll be like, eh, a little less, a little less. What uh this is a good question. See, I gotta get them to sponsor the podcast because then I can just make this one of the I change the final questions up every season. So but anyway, right. what uh what do you use the Asteras for? Because I think this would actually be valuable for like younger filmmakers who sure. Because uh, tube lights are pretty accessible. You know, Amaran makes one and Aperture makes one. Yeah. Um, what do you use those for and what don't you use those for? Uh, like tube lights? Um, yeah. Depending on where where, um, where the location is. I mean, it's funny. I'll use it sometimes. I'll use them sometimes as key lights. Like I'll have a guy on this. Like we were, uh, for example, we were doing a lot of stuff where I was in Colombia. South American and there's a um it's a military movie and and so um I had these pretty big areas of jungle that I had to light pretty thick dense jungle and I I was lucky enough I could get a lift back there and then I had a hill and I had like a 120s and and I had a 360 and atmosphere and all this but it was good and it would push you know from the side or it had some way off in the back of the jungle to push behind them but it would fall off in certain areas. So I'd have, I'd have an electrician holding, uh, like two tubes gang together at about 20 or 30%, probably like four or five foot away from subject. And I'm the camera and this is the subject. I'm the camera. And then he would be off to the left or right. I never put it behind me because that right. looks ridiculous. So, and I would have them and you know, they would be walking right there. I would, you know, that's just, that's a case where I would use it or, if I was in some sort of, I don't know, would say like a warehouse or we were outside at a market, I would have them, our department would rig up some sort of contraption that looks like a fluorescent, like housing, but we would put a, um, a stair in that 
and we'd chain those and then we would have all those like maybe we'd make one flicker and we'd make one like off ugly green and one kind of like in the blue spectrum and one white or if i wanted to switch it up so i'd use it also as background stuff because an anamorphic obviously for the lights in the background and out of focus it looks beautiful and uh, the right. when you go the more it does sort of thing so i'd use it in that sense but then there's been cases where i'll set up a shot and i'll just say bring me a tube here and bring me one over here so we'll key with that and we'll backlight with that it uh, like i i've found ways to use like the weirdest ways possible that i you know gaffer look at me and go what is what are you doing man and i'm just like well it just it works it's fast you know mm-hmm. so i i try i i try to to use it incorporate it into the set but i also try to use the stairs as a key to light the whole thing you know so it's i i i i've always been anybody that knows me i've always been a little crazy uh like mad scientists that just i'm not afraid to try stuff right. i've never been afraid to try stuff i've never been afraid to like go dark or you know go be edgy or wow you're shooting anamorphics like that what are, what are you doing you know so i i'm just i like how are you gonna learn right how are you gonna learn right. if you don't try? and that's if you take that approach and find you know obviously find places where you won't get yourself in trouble by doing it but also just don't be don't be safe because if you're just safe in this business it's like you're not going to go anywhere you're not going to push yourself you're always going to rely on your crutch of like oh this is what i want to do so i've just tried to always you know do things in a different way and um i think it's worked you know for me i think it's worked pretty well so having those lights and using those lights the way i have been um yeah i mean i i i I just go for it. I mean, I'll send I'll send you a couple things. I'll send you some stills. And I'll be like, all right, over here I had a stairs sure. here over there. I had that, so you can at least see what what I'm talking about. Yeah, that that actually brings up two things. The first one, uh, so we can get off tubes, is I actually did one where I I put a like a clamp at the end of a um, boom pole. Yeah, and then and then with like a three foot photographic umbrella. So I've got a mobile key. I just have someone Hollywooding. Yeah. You know, so if you've got like a walk and talk, you just got this one guy with a three foot softball face. Yeah, and then they make these, uh, I forget what it's called, like a wind sock. You can stick the Astera into. Oh, the inflatable jammy. Yeah. Yeah. You, in, or I don't think it's like made out of muzz or some kind of like, you know, they, Grid. they have all the different ones. Um, but yeah, I've had guys sticking on a C-stam, you know, they'll clamp it or like a boom pole and you'll, you walk. It's it's almost like the Felipe Russolo of the '80s with his. Uh, he was big with um, gem balls, you know, or, or yeah. uh, uh, Chinese China balls. Yeah, yeah, China balls, you know. So that th- this is like our renaissance of the uh, the stereo tube, you know. Well, I actually stole the idea from Cronenwith because uh, there's this behind the scenes still of Brad Pitt on Fight Club when they're doing when he's on the moving sidewalk in the yeah. airport. Yeah, and there's there's literally just a guy with a with a Kino flow tube above his head, and it and it shook me to my core because I was I was in college. Well, I was in college, and I was like, wait, like I was like a freshman, and I was like, wait a minute, because in my head, if you had to do a big long scene, you had to light the whole scene. It for whatever reason, it didn't occur to me that the light could just move. No one would know that the light was just moving with you. And I was like, that makes that makes it so much easier. Like, yeah. Oh, and and you know the balls of like, 
to shoot at that that location, obviously, but they're they're, they're using a lot of the the the, uh, the fixtures that were already there. They're then enhancing that. Um, yeah, I think I think Claudio Miranda gaffed Fight Club. I think I thought oh, bacon. Jesus. Uh, yeah, Tim man, Fincher's put some great people out. Um, and, and there, there's an, I remember, I remember a specific scene, uh, where they're sitting on the corner and the house is in the background. They're like, oh, wasn't this fun? We should do it again. They hear. Oh yeah. No, that, that's outside of, uh, Sal, uh, Sal's. That's outside Sal. of the So I've always seen the, like the movie and then you back away and you see like there's a keto flow hanging right over here and it's like you're like oh wow it's that and it's just there's a backlight this way or whatever and you know i I just love that you just kind of like well these guys use the same lights where you oh okay that's pretty cool that's how simple that was so you know but uh that is kind of part of my line of questioning uh with you and with most people is like trying to not I know everyone wants kind of like exact lighting plots for every film, you know, sure. which is informative in in many ways. But I think it's just more important to realize that like a lot of those things happen, and and, and for you to just like you were saying, try stuff out, like see what works for you. Because I think if you just cut, co- I think it's important to copy people when you're learning. Yeah, because you don't know what you don't know. But then. If you're trying to get gigs, you know, and you're like, oh, I'm, I need this exact lighting plot from Deacon's website, and then you try to execute, it's not going to work the same. It's not well, the same, you know. No, it's not. It's not the same, and that that's that's a uh, uh, that's something I think. This is sort of on the same lines. I remember when I was at AFI, Yanish Kaminsky came and was showing us uh, his tests for um, Amistad. And they were all on film, and he and he brought them to our class. And we they had the projectors projectionist loaded up, and we watched them. And I love his tests because they aren't like a chip chart and a girl with fabric. And right, I don't get anything out of tests like that. I just that's and that works for other people. He basically had a set of uh, like a old colonial type. Uh, it, I think it was he was actually doing a Universal, and it, it looked like a scene out of Amistad. Mm-hmm. And he had you know he had the typical Spielberg Janusz stuff. He had the hard backlight, soft key. He had he and he would he, on the slate. The slates were that's where you had to pay attention because he would say like you know Dior number one, uh, soft classic, soft this da da da. Push one stop, push two stop, two eight. Whatever. It, all his information was on that slate. So he would right. see like, okay, this is this is plus one stop, this plus two stop, this this, and you would see these just, I mean, they were just gorgeous tests, and you got so much out of that. And I remember we were all hit. What, what stock are you using? I think he was using like two hundred tungsten EXR, two hundred tungsten. Um, I can't remember what the other stock was. I do miss the uh, EXR I, stocks. Yeah, yeah, and and um. I remember like, well, should I use that stop? Because should, everybody wanted to do what he did. But but I learned very quickly that like, he's like, well, yeah, you could try that. But what I'm doing may not work for you. And, you know, I'm just doing this because I know how that stock works. I like that stock. This is how I like. This is what I want. But it may not work for you. And then that was where I quickly learned that like, okay, I can aesthetically, you know, light like these guys or grab things from them but what they're doing may not be what i want 
And so that's when I had to learn that like, okay, you have to figure out what you want to grab from this and then go to answer your question about, you know, using the lighting plots from, from Deacons or this or sort of that thing. It's like, yeah, take that, learn from those things, but don't do, try to do exactly what they do. It's not going to really work for what you do because you don't do what he does. You know, you're not going to, he's not going to do what you do. So it's like, you have to find that blend yourself. So I'm still constantly, if you look, if you're constantly a student of this craft, then I think you'll be successful. If you walk around thinking you're the master of this thing, you're not going to last a long time right. at all. Well, and I've always said, like, if if you steal from one person, that's stealing. If you steal from three people, now you're now you're an original. Yeah. If if you if you weave at least three people's uh, sort of main ideas, because everyone has their own thing, and then someone's going to look at you and be like, you know what their thing is, and it's whatever they've pulled from you, you know. Yeah. Um, but you definitely don't want to take. You know, there's a lot of like YouTubers where they're like, "This is how you film exactly like Fincher," and I'm like, "I don't no, think that's I, a good well, idea." I, I I love those things. Those things make me laugh. You want to learn how to light online? This is how you do it. It's like, sure, buddy. I'm grabbing yeah. it. Keep going. Tell me your LUTs too. I did want to know uh, <laughs> those dude the LUTs. Anyway, um, I, I I'll I, I keep going. I can go. I I all right. So quick story. Quick story. I'm sorry. I don't oh yeah. yeah. Um. I saw one of those things. They're like, make the Joker LUT. And Jill Bacana. Well, I know was, exactly what you're talking about. Jill Bacana was my colorist and she colored Joker. So I, said her, I I was like, Jill, you have to see this. It's like, is this the way you did it, right? And she's just like, ha, ah, ha, ah, that's funny. You know, it's it's pretty, that, that makes me laugh. I think it's funny. Yeah, I actually got a hold of her through uh, a friend who was on the podcast. And uh, she agreed to do the podcast. She's going to be my first colorist, but. Uh, which will just, I, I can't have any more after her. It's going to have to be Sonnenfeld and maybe no one else. But uh, I'll get to Dave. I'll, I'll get you David to come on, man. David's that'd great. be sick. I'd love to have a, I did, I, I did a lens month that everyone really likes. So colorist month would be fucking cool. But uh, she's obviously Jill Bogdanovich. So she's busy as shit. Um, but I did want to uh, jump back a little bit to the point about trying things out and, and yeah. always testing. Yeah. It did feel like uh, throughout the 90s and early 2000s to like 2010 maybe that music videos were where you would do those experiments because that was... And music videos now don't have a budget, rarely have an artist that, you know, it's it that um, creative playground seems to have passed. Yeah. Um, Do you see anything else in, in the kind of... Oh, creative space feels icky to say, but anyway, any anything in the sort of that that mimics that area, or does everyone just kind of have to do it themselves and and work with what they've got? Now, yeah, I mean, I was very fortunate enough to have that experimenting time in in my music video days. Well, and you could add those music videos to your reel and be like, check this shit out, because music videos yeah. used to be huge. Yeah, they used to be big. I mean, I was. I was on the tail end of when they were still big, and then I watched them just completely go, you know. Um, yeah, you, you know, if you can have time to, like, test things now, it's good, It which you hardly ever do. Um, I, I, and now, I, I mean, now I try to just, you know, get a little bit of, like, all right, well, I want to try this and see, see what happens on a scene. 
and I've been I've been I've been lucky lately to do it, and and sometimes it works, you know, and sometimes you're like, man, that kind of worked, but whatever. But most of the time, I've been very fortunate, and something works. So that's been my sort of little test pattern now is just trying things on set, which you know I'll talk about it extensively with the gaff. All right, we're gonna try this. We're gonna try this. We're gonna try this when it's where we're leading up to it. And then, and then, um, it ends up working and it works, it works out great. And then when it kind of works, you know, if I see it right off the bat, off the first or second day, I'm like, yeah, that's not, just stop that. We're not going to do that. I'll just, I'll just cut the kibosh off. I don't try to keep pushing it. Sure. I, you'll know, you'll know within minutes or once you put the camera up and you're looking at it and you're just like, yeah, that, that, that didn't work. We're going to, we're going to, all right, we tried. It's not going to work. Let's, let's just do this. I always yeah. have a backup plan for it, ready to go. This is my gaffer out here. Like, if that doesn't work, we'll just go to this. But just be ready. Okay. So there you go. The safety setup. I think everyone Correct. probably has a safety setup. Like the, like the, uh, I played drums and there's always like, you know, someone will always do like a, a pocket, like lick that they just have for me, for whatever reason, it was always the disco beat that like, if I was just yeah. bored. I, it would just kick into disco beats or like these two licks from Queens of the Stone Age. I feel like everyone has, you know, they got the that one up thing. I was like, I can use this. Yeah. Go yeah. back to that. <laughs> Big light here, scratch here, go, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's harder now because, you know, I don't really do videos anymore. Um, I, I, was, I would love to, I would love to do one. I haven't done one in a while. The last one I did was in 2019. I did one for a group called Asking Alexandra. It was uh, like a seven-minute long uh, zombie-inspired thing. It was pretty cool. I, 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 it, it was fun. It was longer, you know, because it had a lot of narrative to it. So, actually, this just reminded me of something. And I know I, 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 I got to let you go here soon. But uh, I, can, I can go as long as you want, man. I have no enough, time. Fair enough. So, yeah. Uh but so again, this is a different Oppenheimer thread that I saw it on the internet where this guy was actually was a YouTube video where this, again, just like it, I feel like a lot of these creators do enough research to say things that are correct, but then get themselves in trouble by trying to ad lib. <laughs> right. It's, and so, uh, this guy was saying that like, oh, this is again, giving Nolan a little too much credit when it comes to film. This whole thing was shot on 65 film. It's never happened before. And I found out that Adele shot a music video in 65 millimeter IMAX black and white like 10 years ago. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's funny. I was like, that came up somewhere recently. Yeah. I, and I, I know I love these guys where they find these things, these gags or whatever, but I don't know where that came up. Like I was reading about that not too long ago, and I yeah, it was a black and white video. It was gorgeous, and, and yeah. it was shot five. And I was like, wow, you know that that's amazing. I think there was something else too that did that. I I can't remember what else, but but yeah, I mean, you know, hey, they, I'm I, looking up who shot because I think I think I know who shot it. The Adele video, yeah. I think that would, I would very be very curious to know who it is. Actually, is it? Oh my God! Was that what it was? No, someone like you. Someone like you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
I was like, it was one of the big ones. Yeah, I mean, that was a big one. Uh, Raleigh. Oh, come on. This is taking too long. <laughs> Someone like you, Adele Song. Who was the cinematographer? Of the video. It was funny thing. I was watching that uh, the Beatles Get Back documentary. The one that... Oh, yeah. Uh, with, it was the... Peter Jackson. I was going to say Phil Jackson. was thinking about the Bulls. Um, <laughs> think about Air. Yeah, yeah. Think about Air and the Last Dance and all that. But um, yeah, there was a there's a whole bit because they're trying to get the record done and they're making this documentary and they're like, oh well, maybe we're going to take all this footage and make a feature out of it. He's like, well, if we were shot it on sixteen, and I don't know if the quality is going to be good if they blow it up, which is like this is hilarious. This is like nineteen sixty nine, right? They're right. talking about. Whether like, well, maybe if we shot at 35, it'd look good. There's like a whole discussion of like the Beatles talking about film stocks and like blowing things up. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And, but little did they know now, you know, they took that 16 footage, scanned it to 4K, blew it up and it looks gorgeous. You know, there are funny, you know, I still haven't seen a hard day's night, which uh, I know makes me a bad filmmaker, but well, I've uh, never seen here, so don't feel bad. I, Gotta, but I will say, you gotta be in the mood to see something like that. You know, it's it's a acquired sort of thing. Yeah, but I will say that like I I am loving in the past like five ten years the number of companies you know Criterion obviously leading the way sure. Arrow sure. even just CBS did a few where they will find the original camera negatives scan them pristine as shit and re-release it on Blu-ray because it, it's fascinating. Like the one that I always tell people is the re-release of the Twilight Zone on Blu-ray. They went in, rescanned all of the negatives, and it the looks like school? it was... Mm -hmm. old... Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like it was shot yesterday. Correct. And then it's best is because film, man. I mean, it's, it's the best archival material you can use to for, for that. That's why Scorsese is so diehard on preserving film. It, yeah. it, it, you, well, you keep the negs stored in a, in, you know, in a, in a place where they, you know, it's already properly co co climate controlled and all that stuff. You, you could pop that thing out, scan it, clean it up. It, it, they do. They look gorgeous. They yeah. absolutely gorgeous. And that, and that's like, that's that's a great that's a see that's a great example of where technology and the past come together to make something magic. And yeah, you know, like. I love when they restore old movies too, you know, like I know they re-released Jaws a few years ago. They rescanned yeah. it. Pristina looks gorgeous, man. I just rewatched uh gentlemen prefer blondes. Yeah. And that was a criterion, uh, rescan and same thing. I mean, like you, obviously the, 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 what do you call it? The paramount style lighting that very, you know, gives it yeah. away, but like, it's still, it, it's crazy how, clean it looks everyone's memory of all these films is like a shit telecine that they saw on a terrible tv on and TNT, then you pan and scan probably yeah and then and then you get it back in like you know high def and also rescanning technicolor has just got to be the most bonkers because it's not like it's not like a projection that they scan they scan like all three negatives and mush and you know have to sync them and shit and this just yeah. gotta be so much work but it's yeah, I don't know how. Um, I, I yeah, I don't know. That whole process is great. And then, you know, speaking of that other company you were talking about, Arrow. Arrow is like 
they're getting up there with Criterion, man. They're just, I like the films that they're picking. You yeah. know, I like what they're doing. Um, I got their RoboCop. Oh, yeah, man. I, and the True Romance. They just did this huge, like, it hasn't come out. It's, I'm kind of like a, my, two of my friends are, uh, Steelbook junkies that I like. Mm-hmm. He sent me a whole bunch of Steelbooks of like all my favorite movies of all these. He had them all overseas. I like, you can't get any of this stuff. And they just put the stuff they put in these box sets is incredible. Yeah. And, um, and I, I still love physical media. That's just, you know, I like so, that. Oh, I got to send you photos of my shelf. Uh, oh, I love this. <laughs> that. that, that's good. Please do. Um, but they, uh, you know, like, Arrow's going after it, man. I mean, they really, I love that. I love the whole, you know, archiving of movies. And because you got to remember, man, once it's out of the theater, it's like it lives, it has its other life. And if you don't get the transfer right, and if it's not done properly, then people are always going to be like, people like us, the peers, like, well, that version doesn't look right. Or this, you know, it's like seven. Like I said, there's like five or six different versions of seven floating around there. And so I think Fincher said, not too long. I think at Tribeca, he said, I'm remastering 7 4K. I'm going to go back to the neg. We're going to do it right. All that Steven now. Nakamura, this colorist. Yes. Yes. Who is a, who is a great, great human being. Know him well. He's great, great guy. Um, he, he was great. And I, and I think that, uh, I'm excited to see what, what he does. I, I hope he, you know, I hope he goes back to the original look, the pure look or, doesn't go to the uh the cyan the cyan right. way. I don't know. You know, we'll see what happens. That just pinged off so many things at once for me. One perfect example of a bummer is there was this TV show called Seven Days that they used to do reruns on Spike, and it was just this great, somewhat campy sci-fi show. Uh, right. And I wanted DVD of it for years and years and years. It played when I was you know in the nineties, and I never they never and then. Like two years ago, randomly, CBS goes, oh, yeah, we released that on DVD now. It's like, what? And I, like, took a photo, and I tagged all the actors in it, and all the actors, like, liked it and followed me back on Instagram. They're like, I d- you're the only person to buy that fucking thing. And, uh, <laughs> but it's a, it's a, it's a tele, it's a TV scan. So you still get, like, the, you know, the little encoding oh, bars in the top and bottom and the whole thing. Right. It's, like, it's directly from, they didn't rescan shit. Oh, my gosh. I mean, they probably just found some tapes and, you know, like. I'll, I'll ask, I'll ask my, uh, my guru guy in my little forum. I'll see if he, he may, he may have something. I'll, he'll be like, oh yeah, I've got the archives. I, you know, I, you never know. I'll, okay. That would be great. Um, cause that show was really fun. Uh, it had Jonathan LaPaglia in it. The guy who now hosts Australian Survivor. That's hilarious. But he played in a. Amer- well, I'll let you. I, the podcast doesn't need to be me explaining the plot to no, seven days. I don't care. It's but, um, but it was that, and then, uh, oh, the physical media thing. So the other issue with you know it's it gets new life on physical media is one you get the the bonus of like oh movies like Fight Club for instance or Mallrats comes to mind or any any of these films that kind of didn't do well theatrically, right? Yeah, at you least historically, yeah, but. The weird thing now is streamers are just really taking the hack to like hack, but whatever, <laughs> taking no, the scythe to things. Disney put out a movie. I just read this today. Disney put out a movie called like Crater and it they released it like three, four weeks ago. 
and they've already removed it. Wow. It didn't do well on like Disney Plus. It was made for Disney Plus. Right. And it was like a kid's movie. And you'll never see it again. And we're never going to see it again. They'll never put it out on physical media. But though I did read that Bob Iger really wants to get the physical media going back at Disney. Good. Now, they need to bring back the vault. The old. Yeah, they, they need would, to bring they would... the vault. And, and, they, and they need to hire some of these Arrow people and Criterion people to take care of these, these their movies. Because let's just be honest, man. Their, their, their restoration stuff's not the, they don't have the greatest people and that's no yeah. notch to them. I just think there's such a large corporation that, like, they don't think to hire, like, the best, you know, you're, right. you're Disney. You, you, you've got a massive catalog now of 20th Century Fox and Touchstone and God knows what, you know, all the Star Wars. And Lucasfilm, all yeah. Yeah, Lucasfilm. You, you've acquired important titles. Then they need to be, they need to look the way they need to look, so... Yeah, I mean, I just I hope that what whatever they do, I hope they do it right, you know. And and um, that's all I I ever want to see is like a proper properly done version of a film, you know. Well, and like you were saying, there's so many versions. Like I was Men in Black is one of my favorite films of all time. Like sure. top top four letterbox. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, there's there's no no there is a 4K Blu-ray. But I, I had to go on like Blu-ray.com and and look at the reviews and go, okay, this this skew is the one that actually has the good transfer because this one, like Terminator 2 and I think Total Recall, the 4K Blu-rays, unfortunately for Schwarzenegger, look like shit. You can't just buy the 4K assuming it's going to look better. Yeah. Sometimes the, the uh, same thing with The Matrix. The Matrix has a oh, hundred different color passes. Oh, God, the... They did one where it was like all weird green, and then there was like, yeah, I I, I don't know what happens with those movies. Like I know I know I I got a Terminator two download off of Apple, and it was they added more cyan into it. Which did it look real waxy? Because that was yeah, four K version, like you know, because that was Cameron was more on the blues and the you know more of like a, almost a desaturated feel of that movie. You just can't just all of a sudden just go, oh, this is that modern color to this. It just doesn't right. work, you know? Um, it needs to be preservation, not like... Not, you know, super new rushing. Yeah, no, yeah. polish. Yeah, it's like, oh, this looks cool. Yeah. Yeah. Sound yeah, of music I, would look a lot better if it had teal shadows. Exactly, the whole way. <laughs> yeah, let's just add modern, you know, modern colorists to, to this stuff and and make it not even look anything the way it looked like back then. These shots should be warp stabilized. Uh-huh. Gosh. <laughs> God, we, uh, we, you know, it, it it's, I, I just think that stuff's important. It's, yeah, you, same. You know, you're going to, the movie's going to live in a, a physical form or wherever digital. It's got to be, It's at least it's got to look the way it looked like when it was put out. Well, and luckily, like, blu-ray but even 4k blu-ray like it doesn't need to be you know the jump from vhs to dvd was obviously huge that was a jump from and then the jump from dvd to blu-ray was huge again but blu-ray to 4k you know we're now hitting diminishing returns and i feel like if we can at least find a way to make sure that those discs don't degrade appreciably over let's say 
a hundred years, which I know it's yeah. like that's not very environmentally friendly. But for Blu-rays, we just for Blu-rays, we'll get the special plastic. Um, I think we'll be in good shape. We don't need to invent a new, you know, laser disc two to like make oh, this God, happen. No. I mean, like if they if they start coming out the next thing, it's like, oh, we're gonna have eight K Blu-rays, and just like, oh, shut up, yeah. Stop. I don't want to re get a whole new catalog of movies, man. I'm fine with the way they are now. It's like, please, no more. That's the other nice thing about 4K Blu-rays. They're not region locked. Yeah. Regular Blu-rays are, which kind of sucks, but yeah, whatever. 4K ones are not, which is good. But yeah. Um. Well, I'm going to let you go because uh, I didn't eat. So, <laughs> but, That's all right. um, but, uh, yeah, I'll, we'll definitely keep in touch, obviously, and then uh, I'd love to have you back on when when the next film comes out, and then we can talk sure. about that in specificity versus just the shooting shit. Although shooting the shit's kind of fun, I don't get. Yeah, any I have like the shit pods. No, I love shoot the shit pods. It's good. I have Land of Grace, which I just finished. Um, Year two, which is the werewolf movie I did with Steven, which I'm finding out whether or not when that's supposed to. You know, there's a whole distribution thing they want to get in the theaters. Right. All that. Um, I've got to color that movie. So it's either going to come out at the end of this year or the beginning of next year. And then I have a horror movie I have to color, and then I have a drama I have to color. So I have four movies in post that I'm just waiting to just finish them. Well, with the with the strike, at least they're in post. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's, Take your time on them. True. Yeah, that's, that's true. But yeah, dude, it's just a blast. I, I totally enjoyed it. Frame and Reference is an Owlbot production. It's produced and edited by me, Kenny McMillan, and distributed by Pro Video Coalition. As this is an independently funded podcast, we rely on support from listeners like you. So if you'd like to help, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash frameandrefpod. We really appreciate your support, and as always, thanks for listening.